Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Abundant Life Church, where we believe that God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you. Now join us as we dive into today's message. Well, this is fun. <laughs> I, um, I, I love this. This is, this is what it's all about. Uh, I'll tell you... Um, Something that the Lord's been really dealing with me about is just the joy of when we come together uh, in worship and see the, the power of the Holy Spirit move. I, I, I love this time together. It's, you know, I, I believe this. I believe that as believers, it's okay to have fun. Can I say that again? It's okay to have fun. I think sometimes... We, we, we often um, just become so holy that we're serious, but the Lord speaks a lot about joy and happiness, and so I think it's okay to be holy and happy. Is that okay? I know some of you have been fasting and you're holy and hangry. <laughs> but the Lord wants you to be holy and happy. It's something that the Lord's just really been pressing on my heart, and I was praying about this a lot yesterday, is, is, is that, that I, I believe the Lord's going to start ministering to hearts, and, and he's going to be restoring the joy of your salvation. I think too often we come in and we worship, or we, we come before the Lord out of, out of our need and, and out of our brokenness, almost like out of a place of deficit. And, and here's the thing, like the Lord will minister to your needs, and the Lord will give you the strength, and the Lord, all the things that he declares, like we can, we can walk in those things, but I think that there's something that's got to kind of switch in our hearts and in our minds, that we got to stop seeing ourselves as broken Christians, but as blessed Christians, it changes your approach in the way you do life with the Lord. And so when you begin to see yourself from a place of blessing and not a place of brokenness, it's a game changer. It will cause you to wake up in the morning and to be able to step into your day with a godly confidence knowing that today is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and I will be glad in it because he has given me the capacity, the ability to walk in blessing, to be prosperous, to have victory, because he's the source and the strength of my life. And so I just, I want to encourage you with that a little bit, um, even as we get into our, our discussion this morning and our, and our teaching this morning, um, that's just something that the Lord's been really putting on my heart, is that it's time that the people of God are holy and happy. And that's your opportunity to smile. Come on, some of y'all got some really good smiles. I'm just, I'm surveying the room right now. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if holy laughter started breaking out in the services. No, I'm serious. Not, not that we're trying to make something happen. I'm, I'm not in the business of making anything happen. I'm in the business of just being surrendered to the Lord. But I wouldn't be surprised if holy laughter started to fill the room because I'm telling you, some of y'all need to get your laugh back. I'm serious. We spend too much money on things that give us a false sense of joy, a false sense of happiness, a fake smile that is a fleeting moment. But the Lord's saying that everlasting joy that's sustained by him, I, I'm, I'm telling you, Lord, you know what, just do it. 
just fill someone up with some laughter this morning. And it's okay if you break out laughing in the middle of the service. Our teams and our ministry teams, they're not going to stop you. Just go for it. Let her rip, man. I would love it. I would stop the whole service and we'd just look at you the entire time laughing. And then we'll probably all start laughing because the laughing is contagious. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right, let's get into our teaching this morning. I love Jesus so much. I'm just telling you, the Lord's been doing something on me this year that he's just really postured me saying, hey, you know, in this life in Christ, I'm going to have some fun. I'm sorry, guys. If I'm going to flourish this year, it's not going to be because I'm coming from a place of, oh, Lord, you got to do something. No, I'm like, Lord, I'm ready for you to do something. Like, I'm just so happy and so full of joy right now. I don't know if maybe it's because I'm at the end of my fast and I'm counting down these next several days. We're in day 19, and, and, and a lot of joy is going to come swooping in fairly quick here in the form of edibles. I've got menus curated in my mind right now, and I've got, okay, Lord, let's stop doing that. <laughs> hey, how many of y'all got to take a time out this past week? Anybody take a pause moment? A little Selah? I got a couple of uh, phone calls of people saying, yeah, we took a, a, a really good Selah last Sunday when we got home. We went for a deep sleep, a nice little timeout. My wife and I tried to go for a uh, timeout yesterday, but apparently we had a, a young little man that did not want to take a nap himself, and so he, he kept our engines cooking. I love him when he takes his naps. <laughs> Turn with me this morning to the book of Nehemiah. Uh, I want to jump into this uh, today. And uh, let, 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 let me share with you a couple of things here as we're, as we're uh, stepping into uh, the book of Nehemiah. Um, the Lord, earlier on this year, on the first Wednesday night, uh, as we were ministering uh, the word, uh, he, he dropped just a couple of thoughts about Nehemiah. And it was really aimed to, to encourage us for, for our fast that, that many of you are on. And, and real quick, by show of hands, how many people are fasting or been with us on the 21 days of fasting? It's awesome. I, I, I know this, there's something about in the time of fasting that you just start to draw really close to the Lord and things become clear and, and godly wisdom is released. And, and for some of you, you've encountered breakthroughs and, and, and favor and turnarounds. And, and it's just, it's awesome about this. And I can't help but to celebrate and champion each and every single one of you that's been on the 21 days to finish strong where you are just a few days left and I'm excited. In fact, I'll say this, this coming Wednesday uh, night, we're going to have a, a wonderful time of, of, of ministry. Um, uh, we've got Andrew Holmes is going to be bringing the word this coming Wednesday night. Um, so I'm excited about that. And, um, and this past Wednesday, which I'll say this, every Wednesday this month so far has been phenomenal. The way the Spirit of the Lord has moved has been just so incredible. But this past Wednesday was awesome. My wife, Pastor Erin, um, she came up and she ministered. And, man, we prayed um, for heaviness and, and breakthrough and, and, and for chains to be broken off people, for God to renew a hunger on the inside of us. That as we're going this year, by the way, our hunger is not just in the time of fasting, but the Lord would give us a sustained hunger that this year in 2024 we have got a hunger to remain planted in the house of the Lord because we want to see the Lord flourish greater and greater and greater in every area of our life in your family in our community amen somebody 
So Wednesday, this past Wednesday night was awesome, but as we come into this Wednesday, it's the first Wednesday right after we conclude the fast, and there's going to be a powerful time of ministry, and I believe that the Lord's going to show up very, very strong as we pray for people this Wednesday night, as we receive the word, as we worship. There's an intimacy that takes place on Wednesdays that is just so awesome. And so on the first Wednesday night, though, of this year, um, the Lord really brought me into the book of Nehemiah, and I shared a few thoughts, but I I, I, I thought that it was going to be something that was just for that Wednesday. And the Lord brought me back to it. And he pressed on my heart and began to say, Sean, I, I want you to take the church through the book of Nehemiah uh, in this next season. And so we're going to start a teaching today. Uh, next week, one last announcement and then we'll get into to what we want to discuss. But next week, um, we'll be having Bishop, my father, he'll be ministering. And it's going to be an awesome Sunday. And in next Sunday, we'll also have the great privilege and honor to be able to ordain new leadership of the house. And so we've got uh, a wonderful group of people that will be ordained as, as elders and deacons and ministers. And so it's going to be a wonderful time as we come together. Bishop's going to minister. And I just wanted to share that because I'm pretty certain he's not going to talk about Nehemiah next week. But I wanted to start today. Lay a foundation, and then in two weeks we're going to pick up. And here's what we're going to do. We're, we're, we're just going to lean into Nehemiah as long as the Lord has us there. And we're going to squeeze every ounce of juice out of this book until the grace is lifted and the Lord moves us on to something else. Is that okay? So y'all do have your homework. You need to be reading along with this. Today I just want to touch on the first chapter. I want to give you a little overview of what's going on. And I want to begin to share with you and communicate with you some of the things the Lord has put in my heart. If you're taking notes this morning, uh, the series title that I am giving for the duration as we're in this teaching is Rise and Build. Rise and Build. I believe if there was ever a time right now that the Lord wants to accomplish a great work in the church, it's right now. For we know that the word of the Lord for this year is those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. But I believe within that, the Lord is saying it's time to rise and build. It's time, there's a grace right now on the people of God that when you begin to rise up and know the greatness and the power of God that's within you, then he will cause you to prosper. Even Nehemiah makes that statement later on. He says, the God of heaven shall cause us to prosper. In chapter 4, he makes this statement. And I believe the God of heaven and earth will cause the people of God to rise up and to prosper. This is the year that the Lord said we would encounter and experience supernatural influence and increase. If you remember that from the word of the Lord, it's a year of influence and increase. And so make no mistake about it. Mark it down. The Lord is going to cause the people of God to rise up and prosper. But here's the deal. The prospering is going to come through the work of the hands. Hear me again. It's going to come through the work of hands. The Bible in the book of James says this is that faith without works is dead. So I can talk a whole big faith game, but if I'm not walking it out, in the purpose that God has for me, according to his word, ain't no prospering going to be taking place. But the people of God that want to flourish, the people of God that want to encounter next level prosperity are the ones that are willing to roll up their sleeves and say, God, here we go. I'm ready to build something great for your kingdom, for your glory. Rise and build. Tell somebody next to you, rise and build. 
So when we look at the life, though, of this individual Nehemiah, there's some very fascinating things that we need to, to understand. The book of Nehemiah was really written as a two-part book, Ezra and Nehemiah. Originally, they were written as one book, and then later on, they were split into two books. Ezra and Nehemiah, their, their, their lives almost uh, 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 transition, or it's like a baton being passed from one book to the next. But it's important to understand that, and I'm not talking necessarily about Ezra's life, but I got to give you this, this, this background context. Ezra felt this weight to rebuild the temple of God. And so in the book of Ezra, we find out that God raises up this, this individual, this man of God, to go back and rebuild the temple. Well, from the time of Ezra to Nehemiah, there's almost a 70-year span. And as Ezra is, is finishing completing the, the rebuilding of the temple that was left in ruins because God's people walked away from being obedient to the Lord. They, they were under Babylonian captivity. They weren't walking in blessing. They weren't being prosperous. They, they were under a different rulership. A man in the midst of that said, this is the moment, though, that the Lord is saying that there's a grace to go back and rebuild the temple, to reestablish worship, for the people of God to come back together, to declare his greatness, to encounter his blessing, to walk according to the blessings that the word of the Lord has spoken. And so Ezra rebuilds this temple, but it's a 70-year span until Nehemiah comes into the scene and says, but we got to rebuild the walls. There is something about the walls, and I even want to say this, the walls is almost symbolic to who we are when it comes to the body of Christ. The temple, the worship, the place of God's presence, it's important to almost see us as the wall that is surrounding. We are the ones that protect God's presence. We are the ones that as we lock arms together, we're, we're like a wall, not allowing the enemy to get through, not allowing the, 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 the adversities of life to compromise the presence of God. This is the hour, this is the day as the people of God, we got to build ourselves up. And there's some things this year the Lord wants to build up in your life. There's some character the Lord wants to build up in your life. There's some things when it comes to how you steward your life spiritually that he wants to build up your spiritual walk this year. When it comes to, to who you are and the assignments in this earth, whether it's in your business or, or with your family or, or, or different things the Lord has planted in your heart, there's some things he wants to build up this year because adversities will come. The word of the Lord was very clear that there is going to be a season where giants will present themselves. But the people of God don't need to be in fear running away from the giants. But we're the people of God running to the giants knowing that the victory is ours. That the enemy will not overcome the people of God. But you've got to see yourself built strong like a wall anchored in steadfast, immovable. Because it is God that is with you and God that is for you. And so when we look at the life of Nehemiah, Nehemiah opens up in chapter 1 and he, and he gets this news about the fact that the temple had been completed, but the walls that was to protect the temple, they, they, they were in ruins. And so as we, as we peek into chapter 1 this morning, we find out that a group of, uh, uh, of um, exiles that made their way back home, come back to Nehemiah, and they give them this report, and they say, listen, 
the walls, they, they lie in ruins. The people are somewhat scattered and frazzled. There still is oppression that's going on. And Nehemiah felt this burden in his heart to do something. He felt this burden in, in, in his heart. It goes so much so that in the scripture it says that he wept and he mourned over the news. He felt this weightiness on him. And as a result, he went to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple so that from, or not the temple but the walls, so that from him rebuilding the walls, that now the blessing of God could be reestablished. Now I'm giving you almost a threefold progression. He felt a burden, he went and built the wall, and the blessing was released. Anything in your life that is going to carry any level of significance is going to start out of a burden that's upon your life. Any great work that's ever been accomplished in the earth, it came from a burden. Could you imagine this? Everybody in the room this morning not having any shoes on. Shoes were never invented. Some of you would be reevaluating how you take care of your feet. Imagine no shoes, no sandals, no boots, no nothing, no heels. Could you imagine, ladies, no heels, never invented, everyone's flat-footed, no socks, no nothing. But someone in the room felt this burden that our feet are not protected, and if we carry on doing life in this archaic type of <laughs> way, then, uh, you know, we could have, our, our feet could get hurt, we'd be exposed to the elements, so someone would feel a burden, so they would just have the desire to want to build or design a shoe. And out of that, we all have shoes, so now we're all blessed with all kinds of sweet pairs of sneakers and heels and boots and all kinds of things. You, you, you follow me what I'm saying? Things don't just exist. Someone has a burden on their heart for something. They're willing to roll up their sleeves and do something about it. They're willing to build a work around that. And as a result, it's not just for the benefit of them, but it's as a blessing to everyone that partakes in that thing that was built. Anything of significance that you do, especially for the Lord, starts with a burden on your heart. It will position you to want to build something, and out of it the blessing will come. So you need to keep that in your mind as we're walking through this passage, because this is where Nehemiah is. So he's feeling this burden, and in the midst of that, he comes to the Lord, and in verse uh, 5, the Bible says this. He sits down, he's weeping, he comes before the Lord, and in verse 5, which actually, let me, let me back it up really quick. I want to read verse 4. I want you to see this. Verse 4, he actually says this. So it was... When I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. Here's what I want you to see. I was fasting and praying. The Bible says that he was fasting and praying. Now for those that are fasting or eventually want to join in on a fast, the Bible did not clarify that he was on a 21-day fast. The Bible did not clarify that he followed Daniel's fast. The Bible did not say that he did a three-day fast. The Bible did not say that he did a sugarless, carb-free fast. The Bible didn't say that he did a liquid fast. The Bible didn't say that he was doing just a meat fast. The Bible just said he fasted. So before you start, like, trying to ask, how did he fast? The Bible just said he fasted, okay? He fasted and he prayed. He drew near to God and in this, as he began to pray, he prayed a five-point prayer, and I want to walk you through that today. Because I believe if there's anything that you're going to build of significance, it's got to first and foremost start through prayer. 
In fact, I believe that we reference prayer, but we don't spend enough time talking about the power of prayer. I love this statement that's made, but prayer should be your first response, not your last resort. Hear me, prayer should be your first response and not your last resort. Paul goes to great lengths talking about the power and the purpose of prayer. He's the one that references about the fervent prayers of the righteous. It avails much. Praying with, 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 with continuation and supplication and in the spirit. Uh, he goes into great detail in Ephesians chapter 6 and 18. He's a, as he says, if you want to persevere, it's going to come through a lifestyle of prayer. Prayer is what allows you to persevere. So if you're wondering, how am I going to get through this situation? It's through prayer. You hear me on this? If I could just stop here and didn't say anything else and just said, you need to understand that there's power in your prayer. Every day, there's power in your prayer. I say this in almost every service, but I love Matthew 6, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all the things will be added. You say, Pastor, you say that a lot. I know that I do because it's God's guideline to access anything of spiritual significance, anything of earthly significance. And the way that you seek God first is through a life of prayer. And so Nehemiah, he sits, he fasts, and he prays. He sets his heart before the Lord. Now, if you're taking notes, I, I want you to, to, to mark this down. The name Nehemiah means comforter. The name Nehemiah means comforter. And the interesting thing about the fact that his name meaning comforter is that the Lord was raising up a comforter that would go to Jerusalem and rebuild, reestablish, restore the work of the Lord. That's symbolic of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit in John's gospel is noted as the comforter. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes as the comforter to renew you, to restore you, to reactivate you, to bring about the fullness of what God wants to be accomplished in your life. So Nehemiah is symbolic in the sense that the Lord has him positioned, which by the way, Nehemiah, he was the king's cupbearer. There's only four places in the Bible that a cupbearer is mentioned. The book of Genesis, where Joseph interprets the dreams of the of the butler. The butler is another uh, version of what a cupbearer is, but it's the same thing. So you've got Genesis, Nehemiah. You have when the queen of Sheba came and met Solomon in the temple. She notes the fact that the cupbearers were, were, were rich in wisdom and it just like because everything reproduces after its own kind. And so the cupbearers were, were just as extravagant in their knowledge and understanding. And the Queen of Sheba was moved at the wisdom of the cupbearers. And then in the book of Hezekiah, the Assyrian army sends the cupbearer to find out what Hezekiah is up to. Only four places in the entire Bible is a cupbearer referenced and Nehemiah is one of them. That's important because if there's only four places in this entire word that talks about it, our attention should be really focused in on what the Lord's trying to say. A cupbearer was almost number two to the king. 
In fact, a cupbearer's main position would to be at the royal table. So much so that when food and drinks and wine, when they were given to the king, the king would have the cupbearer drink the wine first in case someone tried to poison and kill the king. The cupbearer had a very established place at the royal table. And here we have Nehemiah, and Nehemiah feels the burden to rebuild the walls. Why is that important? It's important because here's a man that was in a high position, high status, and he was willing to leave the royal table for the ruined temple. He was willing to leave the royal way for the ruined wall. And my question to you is, are you willing to forego your place, your position, your earthly status to be able to do a great work for God? Or is what you're doing so all about you that you miss what God wants to do through you to reach your world with life? God uses Nehemiah. Nehemiah was established in the right place, in the right position. Some of you say, man, I just don't understand, you know, what the Lord's trying to show me, what he's trying to do in my life. I just wish I had someone else's life. No, you don't. Because you are exactly where God wants you to be. It might not look like the circumstance that you desire, but you are right where God wants you to be. And if God can use a Nehemiah to build a great work for him, he can use you right where you are to build a great work for the kingdom. So do not question, do not mistake, do not be discouraged, do not be dismayed. Rest and know that when you come before the Lord, that he is with you to build and to do a great work. I want to encourage your heart this morning because there's many people in the body of Christ that say, if only I had a different position, if only I had a different status, if only I had a different thing. Oh, if I could just be pastor like you. You don't want to be pastor like me. Trust me. I love conversations that talk about fivefold ministry and positions and things like that. I'm like, you don't want this. You don't understand. The purpose of the pastor or the pastors, is that we equip you as the saints. In other words, we're the coach and you're the starting players. You're the ones that are scoring touchdowns. You're in the right position, you're in the right place to do a great work for God. Nehemiah was in the right place and in the right position. He feels this burden, he prays, and he fasts. And let's take a look at what his prayer is. Verse 5. I pray, Lord God of heaven... O oh, great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you both my father's house and I have sinned. I want to stop there for a second. In this first portion that we just read, Nehemiah has two points that he prays. The first thing that he prays is he says, I pray how awesome and great are you God. It's important to understand that your prayer life needs to start by putting attention on the greatness and the awesomeness of who God is. 
Too often we come to the Lord with the needs, and it's fine because the Lord, He knows your needs. The the Lord wants to to reconcile and resolve and, and take care of your needs, but He wants you to come to Him for His greatness and His awesomeness. Matthew's gospel, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, Teach us how to pray, which I love that in and of itself. They didn't say, Lord, give us a prayer. They said, teach us how to pray so that when challenges and difficulties and trials come, we have got a roadmap, we've got a blueprint, we've got an outline, we've we've got a playbook. Prayer's got a playbook, and it's this prayer right here. And Jesus says, all right, guys, here's how you do it. And he says, first and foremost, our Father who is in heaven, follow with me now, hallowed be your, not hallowed be my name, it ain't about me, it's not me coming to the Lord, hey God, look at me, you know, don't you see all the things I've been doing this week, so, you know, because I've been doing all these things, can you, you know, can you do a a little extra for me? No, he's saying, you come to me hallowing, declaring holy is my name. I love that Jesus goes so much uh, uh, into detail saying, when you pray, say, our Father. Let me help you out. Your prayer life first comes by you coming to God for who he is, but he's specific. He says, acknowledge me as Father. This is important because the Lord wants you to know him relationally first, supernaturally second. Now, it's by the supernatural power and grace in the blood of Jesus that we are saved, that we are no longer in darkness but moved to light, but it's because your Father loves you. He wants you to come to him as Father relationally first and then supernaturally second. Even in this model prayer, it's not the Lord's prayer by the way. I know we call it that, the Lord's prayer, but this wasn't Jesus' prayer because Jesus had no sin and the model prayer deals with the remission of sins. He's saying, guys, here's the deal. Here's how you're going to pray this. Come to God as Father. And it's amazing. After we hollow his name, holy is your name, now all the supernatural things that God does comes from that moment. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread, right? All these things come out of you knowing him relationally. Nehemiah says, how great and awesome is my God. How great and awesome when you wake up in the morning is your God. You say, but I got a lot of things that's messed up in my life and it's okay. It doesn't mean that God is any less awesome. And by the way, if you don't see God working instantly, it doesn't mean he's not moving constantly. He works all things together for your good according to his purpose. Take a time out if you need to get yourself refocused. So how great, how awesome is our God, my God, Nehemiah. He makes it personal. His first prayer point is the fact that he acknowledges the greatness, the sovereignty of God. If you're taking notes, he remembered the power of God. He remembered who his heavenly father was. His first prayer point, he remembered. As the passage begins to unfold he begins to come before the Lord and he says now God I confess my sins I myself in my father's house we've gotten away from doing what's right 
He comes before the Lord and he begins to confess his sins. When you're coming before the Lord in prayer, repentance, and it doesn't mean that maybe you're just living a life full of sin, but, but maybe you got off track. Maybe, maybe, maybe you allowed other things to, 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 to take resident in your life and you, and you missed the mark. And, 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 and Nehemiah is saying, Lord, I'm coming back to you. I repent. He repented. He said, let there not be anything that separates me from you. When you are coming before the Lord in prayer, your repentant heart means, by the way, repentance is to turn directions, to go the other way. And maybe we've been going one way that's been separate from God. And I find it funny, a lot of times we come to God and we pray out of our problems. What if you could pray with God into your plans? In fact, you will prosper quicker when you incorporate God into your plans versus your problems. And God will help you through your problems, but what if you could bring them into your plans? I was thinking about this. I uh, built a Barbie dream home for my daughter. I didn't buy it. My sister did. And on the front of the box, it said, Barbie dream house, three levels, 75 plus pieces. (laughs) You never had to do that. Never had to do that. Praise God. <laughs> I did. The day after, two days after Christmas, my daughter came up to me. She was like, Daddy, come on. Come on. We got we to have this. We got we to build this Barbie dream house. So are you kidding me? 75 plus pieces. I threw a blanket over that thing and went about, <laughs> if you don't see it, it ain't there. She's like, no. 75 pieces. Come on, Daddy. Let's go, let's go. I was like, all right, all right. You're going to help daddy build it? Yeah. I open up, we take everything out. She was nowhere to be found. (laughs) Comes back five minutes later, daddy, is it done yet? Are we done yet? Come on, dad. Build the slide. This thing's got a slide. What? Why why, why did Barbie Dream Homes have a slide? Why does it have an elevator? What is going on around here? Why am I building a small town home for my daughter's dolls? There is a problem with this. So, like any dad in the room that's got a little girl or even if you've got kids and you've got to assemble and build something, right? You take all the parts, all the pieces that's laying all in the room or depending on what you're building in the garage or wherever it is that you're at. And, and so, you know, what, what do you do? You, you, grab, you grab the instruction book, don't you? No, you do not grab the instruction book. So you just start going at it and you just start building and this thing goes there and, and this, is, this is here and, 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 and I'm pretty certain that the slide was supposed to actually go through the elevator and, and supposed to spill down into, you know, the portion of this little dream home that has a kitchen. No, that none of that made any sense and I was like 60 pieces into this job and it was all wrong. God, where are you? I get this tug on the back of my shirt. Daddy, here's the instructions. You might want to take a look at that. Here I am crying out in my problem. I knew I was supposed to do something. I got ahead of myself and, and I had momentum because I was getting things together and, and, and I was busy and I was, my sleeves were rolled up. But because I did not have the instructions from the beginning as part of the plan, 
I found myself having to go backwards in and, and, and the middle of this problem and having to, and is that not like us a lot of times? We choose to do life without prayer, without God, and we get so far ahead into things and we begin to discover why is this situation like this and, 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 and why are these certain people in my life and, and why can't I get this certain thing fulfilled that I knew that I was supposed to do and God is saying, because you did not invite me into the plan, you invited me only into the problem. I know I cannot do anything without God, but too often we do things not with God. I'm going to say that again. Too often we we know I can't do anything without God, but very little do I actually do anything with God. And God is saying, I want to do life with you. It's relational. I want this life to be, to be something that, that is nourished and it's a process and, and we want to rush things with God in our prayer. And I could see if Nehemiah wasn't taking the time to pray, I'm feeling this burden. I'm just going to run out and go and do something. But if he did not bring God into the plan, he would have found himself when the enemy came against him, he would have a big problem. Because then where would he turn? Then where would he go? Then who would he look to? And I'm here to tell you your prayer life brings God into the plan, into the purpose, into the potential, into the promise. And it allows you to prosper in the work that he's assigned for you to build. Nehemiah prays and says, how great and awesome. Lord, there's not one thing I can do without you. Forgive me of my sins. So he remembered, he repented. Look at this as we continue to walk through this passage. He, he goes on and in verse 8 he says, Remember I pray the word you commanded your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful I'll scatter you among the nations. Verse 9, But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you are cast out to the farthest part of heavens, yet I will gather them from there. I will bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. What is he saying here? He's saying, Lord, I am reminding you of the covenant. I'm reminding you of the covenant and my prayer is, Lord, I come to you remembering your greatness repenting of my sin, now renew the covenant between me and you, between heaven and earth. And when you come to the Lord in prayer, the Lord wants you to be reminded and to be renewed of the covenant that he has made between heaven and earth. The covenant now as believers that's been established through Jesus, through the shedding of his blood, that you have a right as the children of God to walk according to his covenant. His covenant that releases blessing into your life. His covenant that releases healing into your life. His covenant that causes you to have turnarounds and, and to have breakthroughs and for you to be able to walk victorious. All of that comes out of the covenant and so often we forget the covenant that God's made with us. The Lord wants you to be renewed in his covenant. Nehemiah is praying and he, and he says, Lord, remember the commandments. And you said, you said, if I come back to you, you'll bless us. You'll renew us. So he prays a, a prayer. Oh, Lord, I remember. Lord, I repent. Now, Lord, renew your covenant. When you're praying for the Lord, sometimes you have to renew yourself. 
See, what are you talking about? Sometimes we allow people to put labels on our life that causes us to forget who we are as the children of God. And you are not who others say that you are. You are who God says that you are. You are chosen. You are royal. You are holy. You are set apart. When I renew myself according to his covenant, it causes me to go into the day as I was talking about earlier with a confidence, with a joy, with a happiness, with an assurance. Oh man, I'm a child of God. Ain't no devil in hell going to get me today. He might try, weapons might be formed, but they're not going to prosper because I serve the God of heaven and earth. I thank you for this covenant because you're a covenant-keeping God. Listen, you might have gotten a little, a little shaky in the covenant, but God hasn't. His word has not changed. I said his word has not changed. His covenant has not changed. And Nehemiah, he comes and, and he reminds the Lord, but the Lord didn't forget the covenant. He was really reminding himself what this covenant is all about. If I just turn back to you, everything can begin to change. And so he prays this prayer and he, he, re, he remembers, he repents, he renews himself. Look at this. This is really, really awesome. These last two prayer points. He says this in, uh, in verse 11, O Lord, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servant who desires to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day. Now, later on in this teaching, we're going to talk a lot about fear and adversity and, and where the enemy tried to come in and, and try to strike his heart with fear. But let me tell you this. When you have the fear of the Lord, you never have to have the fear of man. Fear, by the way, is the indicator of what you respect and worship. So whatever you fear is what will master your life. And he says, I have feared long enough not doing what's right, but if I can get the fear of the Lord back. I think that's something that's to be said in the body of Christ. We need to have the fear of the Lord again. We need to have the fear of the Lord. It's a surrender before the Lord. That he's not just Savior, but he is Lord. He didn't just give you salvation, but he is Lord over every area of your life. And some of us, we haven't seen certain things change in our life because we have not surrendered to him, because we don't have the fear of him. And so we continue on with different problems and addictions and relationships because we're in fear that if I lose that relationship, my life will not be the same. And so I worship that relationship, I worship that addiction, I worship that situation and it masters my life. And the Lord is saying, you need to fear me and me alone because I want to be Lord over everything. And so he praises her, but watch what he says. He says, in the prayer of your servant who desires to fear your name, let your servant prosper this day. I want to take a second and just talk to you about this. He prays to God and says, out of fear of you, let us prosper. Now, for sake of conversation, at any one point did Nehemiah not have the capacity or the capability to prosper? He always had the ability to prosper. Just like you, you have the ability to prosper. What God's placed inside of you is designed to come on the outside of you. And the Bible says this according to Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18, that he gives us the power to get wealth. Now, 
if we reduce the gospel to simply look at wealth as material items, then I think we miss the whole purpose of God. That is an aspect of it. It's absolutely important to understand the Lord has given you the capacity to acquire great earthly things. At the same time, though, it would be totally unlike God to not allow us to draw attention to the spiritual things or the emotional or the mental. So when he says, I give you the power to get wealth, what he's saying in Deuteronomy is that don't forget who gave you the ability to be efficient in whatever you set your mind, your heart, and your hand to. I want you to to, to make a mental log of that because the Lord has given you the ability and the power to be efficient knowing that it's he, Ephesians 3.20 says, that he'll do exceedingly and abundantly and above all you could ask or think according to what? The power that's at work within you. So it's the power of God, it's the Holy Spirit at work within you causing you to be able to be successful, efficient in what you put your hand to. And that can be material, that can be spiritual, that can be in whatever it is that you want to seek prosperity in. And God wants you to prosper in every walk and every area of your life. So Nehemiah always had the capacity to prosper. What he's saying is, Lord, revive me. Revive me according to your spirit so that I can go and prosper. And I came to encourage you this morning as I was praying about this, that the Lord wanted me to tell you that some of you need to be revived in his word. When we were leading youth, we used to call it Revive Youth, and we used to make the statement, Revive Yourself. We would say, Revive Yourself. We would chant it multiple times, and then everyone would just shout out, Revive Yourself, and it was awesome. And I loved it, and I still love it, because God's Word talks about the purpose of being revived. Psalm 71, verse 20 says, And He shall revive you. He will pull you up from the depths of the earth, and He will increase your greatness. I want you to hear that. Psalm 71 says that he shall revive you. He will pull you up from your lowest point in life and he will increase your greatness. In other words, the Lord will give you capacity of life to prosper in everything you put your hand to. But it's through his spirit. It's through his power. It's through his word. And I'm going to tell you that you need to revive yourself according to his word because it's what gives you life. And so Nehemiah says, Lord, I need you to revive me. Give me the capacity again to prosper. So he prays to be revived. And he comes to this last portion here, and I love this. In the the last part of verse 11, I pray and grant him mercy. He's talking about the king that he's serving. I pray and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. It's not necessarily mercy that Nehemiah needed as much as it was favor. And what we begin to find out as as chapter 2 picks up, it says that he found favor in the sight of the king. And so his prayer was, I request favor. I request mercy. I request compassion. And you got to understand in your prayer life, the Lord wants you to come to him with your requests. And it's interesting in this because he requests favor. And any time you request favor, the Lord will put that request in someone else's heart. Have you ever needed favor from somebody? And maybe they didn't phrase it this way, but basically what they're saying is, what do you need? 
what do you request? When I request divine favor from God, and the Bible talks about this, it says this in the book of Psalm chapter 5, verse 12. He says this, is that the Lord will defend the righteous. So I love that we were singing Great Defender earlier. The Lord will defend the righteous and he will surround you like, with favor like a shield. In other words, you will have 360 degree coverage of God's favor. But it's for those that are walking upright before the Lord. So Nehemiah's prayer, Lord, I come to you for who you are. I thank you for renewing me, for forgiving me for reviving me. Now I request divine favor. And guess what? The Lord's going to give favor because Nehemiah was standing in a place of righteousness to doing what was right in the eyes of God. And so out of his request, the king comes to him and says, what do you request? I'm here to tell you when you walk as the righteousness of God and you make your request known to him, your requests will begin to be birthed in other people's hearts. And out of nowhere, people will begin to say, what do you need? People will begin to say, how can I help you? Oh, I heard about this situation. There is something about divine favor when it's released that everywhere you go, you don't have to say a thing and people begin to make a way for you. God will give you favor with man because when you come to him, you're in favor with him. And so Nehemiah, he's got this five-point prayer. He remembers God. He repents, he renews the covenant, he gets revived in his purpose, and he requests favor. Every single one of those prayer targets became the foundation that caused him to build the walls that the Lord gave him the capacity to build. Now I want to close with this last thought this morning. When Nehemiah came to the Lord in prayer, and when you read throughout this entire book of Nehemiah, not one time did the Lord audibly or physically respond to Nehemiah. No promise was given to Nehemiah out of his prayer. No message was given to Nehemiah out of his prayer. Not even a cool encounter with the angel of the Lord came out of his prayer. Nothing radical happened. The sky didn't open up. He didn't even get a prophet echoing the words of his prayer to give him encouragement. Here is Nehemiah weeping in tears because he felt a burden and he began to pray. But yet, he accomplished a great work for God. I'm saying this because some of you are waiting for the handwriting on the wall. Some of you are saying, but Lord, I've been praying in 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm waiting for you to swoop in and, and give me a sign. Tell me a message. Do a thing. A do a this. A do a that. And sometimes the Lord will do that. He's God. He'll show up and he'll make himself very, very real in different things, in different situations, different moments. But what if in certain instances you don't get any of that? Are you going to stop and pray? What if in the middle of all of that you don't get a divine sign in front of your face? I think it's important to understand that sometimes the divine sign is the spirit of God that's in you. And sometimes we're looking for exterior answers when you and your life yourself are the answer. And so the very prayer that he prayed was really releasing the power and the presence of God on the inside of him. Let me tell you this. 
When you acknowledge God in his presence, it becomes an invitation for his presence to empower you. And so out of your prayer life, when you set your face like me and Nehemiah did before the Lord, the Lord will begin to strengthen you. And that's why Nehemiah was able to make bold statements and say the God of heaven and earth will prosper us. We, we will rise. He didn't say the Lord will pick me up from the ground. He said we will rise. In other words, he took ownership. One of the greatest signs of spiritual maturity is when you can take ownership of your life. We like to take a back seat and just wait for God to come in. And the Lord is saying, but what about all those gifts and those abilities and those things that I placed in you? What are you doing with that? Oh, but I know that one day I'm going to hit the spiritual lotto and it's all going to work together. It doesn't happen like that. You're not here by accident or mistake. You're here with a divine assignment in this earth that this year as you're planted in the house of the Lord, the Lord will cause you to flourish, but it's going to be because you chose to be planted which means you have to get yourself planted. And anytime you plant a plant that's supposed to grow any kind of fruit or anything on the tree, you got to continually water it, dig around it, fertilize it, take care of it. It means that this year, if you want to flourish, if you want to build a great work for God, you got to get to work. God wants to bring order in your life, but he is a looking for people that he can co-labor with to bring order. He's tired of people being spiritually stubborn and us just saying, well, God, if you're real and if you actually are who you say that you are, then you'll just do something about it. And God is saying, I am real and I want to do something about it, but you don't want to work with me. But when we can partner with heaven and heaven and earth collide and there's this co-laboring, there is not one thing that God puts in your heart that cannot be accomplished. This year, the Lord will cause you to flourish. This year, you will rise and prosper. This year, you will rise and build. This year, but it starts when we are a people of prayer and we're saying, Lord, I'm going to get to work. I'm not going to let another day go by. I'm not going to let another week go by. I'm not going to let another month go by that my heart is not rooted in prayer. How am I going to get deeply rooted? How am I going to be planted in the house of the Lord? How am I going to get to work? How am I going to get, get, get after this thing? It's because I'm going to be a people of prayer. The Bible says in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 7, if my people would humble themselves and pray, that he'll heal their land? No. If my people humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear their voice. I'll forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. The Lord wants to bring healing, in, and he wants to minister into areas of your life and, and in your marriages and in, and in your children, in our, in our community, but it's, it's when we humble ourselves and come before the Lord in prayer. When we seek Him first, His righteousness, all the things are added, the prayers are heard, and God moves because He says, now i got something to work with. God's hand is out. My question is, is your hand extended as well? I extend my hand when I become a prayer warrior. I posture my heart and say, Lord, all that's within me every day, I look to you, great defender. 
There's not one thing I can do without you, but God, I want to do everything with you. There's not one thing I can do without you, but God, I want to do everything with you. That should be your heart's desire. God, I want to do everything with you, not after the fact. Before I start, I incorporate you, Lord, into my heart, into my life. It's your purpose. It's truly your plans. And like Nehemiah, when he did that, the Lord gave him the strength to rise and build. We trust that what you heard today has encouraged you to live the abundant life. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on our website, AbundantLife.tv, or follow us on Instagram at AbundantLife underscore TV and Facebook at Come to Life. And remember, God is a good God. He loves you and He wants to bless you.